No Ugly, Yes Please. No Ugly is created in New Zealand by a small, determined and innovative team whose mission is to eradicate ugly. It's inherent in the ingredients we choose, the products we create and our business values and behaviours. We are proud to be part of the global wellness movement, making a difference for the wellness of our people and our planet, right here from the cleanest, greenest country at the bottom of the world. No Ugly's range of functional beverages are scientifically formulated to get you back to gorgeous. With natural ingredients, they've created a truly functional range of beverages with proven health claims. And unlike any other health drinks, their entire line is low sugar but tastes amazeballs. Get back to gorgeous with No Ugly Skin and 10 grams of marine collagen. Detox, the hangover dream. Hydrate, like an isotonic rain in the desert. Libido, yes, yes, yes. Immunity, it's to live for. Sleep, sweet dreams. Focus, your personal laser. Gut, for shits and giggles. And now calm, it's like a cuddle from your mum. They have three different formats, 250ml glass bottles, 330ml cans, and now 100ml glass shots. No ugly? Yes, please. This is the I Quit Sugar podcast, Unprocessed, brought to you by No Ugly Wellness Tonics. Hi, I'm JJ from I Quit Sugar. And I'm Peter, founder of Goodness Me, which is your go-to good-for-you grocery store. We're here out of a deep desire to help you live your healthiest life. We've both been through health journeys which have been transformative in how we live our lives and approach each day. After learning how to manage my autoimmune condition through food and lifestyle, I realised that we live in a world where we are overfed and undernourished, but it can be as easy as some simple changes that can have a huge impact on how your body operates and how you feel day to day. I've also been through a very confusing and oftentimes overwhelming health journey which started with gut dysbiosis and developed into thyroid issues and now an autoimmune condition that I'm still learning about. We don't want you guys to go through what we have. It can be a lonely, overwhelming and often conflicting and confusing world. So we're hoping that these conversations inspire you to dig a bit deeper, cut through the noise and help you live a healthier life. Health is wealth at the end of the day. So I Quit Sugar are bringing you an eight-episode series where we interview some incredible people who have so much wisdom to share on different areas of health and well-being. It's our hope these conversations inspire you to take control of your health and live your fullest life in the process. Our guest today is Luca McCabe, the founder of Boob to Food, but more importantly, mum of three beautiful children, Flynn, Florence and Will. She's a registered midwife, nurse, birth and parenting educator, and a certified nutrition consultant specializing in postpartum and baby's nutrition. Also the proud author to best-selling book, Milk to Meals. Her passion lies with educating mothers, fathers, and caregivers, specifically in the areas surrounding starting solids, toddler meals, and nutritional information for the postpartum mother. She likes to focus on whole foods that are nutri- nutrient-dense, easy to prepare, and enjoyable for the whole family because who has time to really make multiple meals? She hopes to inspire you to think differently about food, to think about what benefits it can have to your body and to feel the best that you can feel. Luca, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. I am so excited to speak to you because I had so many friends say to me, boob to food, boob to food, you've got to look at boob to food when you are doing 
solids or starting to give your baby purees. Um, but I only got that information after I'd already done that. So I'm very excited to be speaking to you now. Oh, how old is your little one? She's turning two next oh, week. Nice. Yes. Yeah. So we <laughs> wanted to start by asking you really, what's one ritual you did this morning to set you up for the day? Uh, every morning, now that my little one's older, um, I go to the gym every morning and that's how I like to start my day. So I do F45, usually five, hopefully six times a week. And that's how I start with a bit of time to myself. <laughs> Amazing. Love that. So you're one of the leaders in Australia on starting your baby on solids and how to do that in a really nutritionally dense way. Can you talk us through how boob to food began and what inspired you to start it? Yeah, so it started uh, when my daughter was nearly six months old. So she's nearly five now. She's my middle child. And I guess it started because I was went to the GP and they told me that she needed to start solids at four months of age. And this really didn't sit very well with me because the reason they wanted her to start was that she was um, quote unquote small for her age. So she was sitting on around the second percentile. And the thing is though, is that she always was on the second percentile and she still is on the second percentile. So in her regards, she wasn't like dropping off of the weight scales or not thriving she was a beautiful healthy very settled happy baby but because she was small they wanted us to start early and she wasn't showing any signs of readiness and i just thought oh i don't think that she's ready to start and what they wanted me to start at home was rice cereal which really didn't sit well with me at all because i just thought this doesn't isn't going to meet her needs if she was too small this isn't going to provide any more calories and breast milk will and anyway so it kind of frustrated me because I was told the same advice with my son to start him on the same food and he's nearly eight now and we went down a different pathway and it was just frustrating me that the same things were being recommended even though there was so much more information out there um but you really had to search for the information like it was hard to find you couldn't just access it easily through Instagram like it is now. So I started an Instagram account, called it boob to food didn't think anything of it. And it was always designed just to be a account on showing what I was serving Florence, um, my daughter, but also more importantly, the why I was choosing to serve her certain foods and why babies need certain nutrients and what foods can provide those nutrients and how we can best set them up for a good start to life. So I kind of just started it on a whim, thought it would be fun. I was working, actually, sorry, I was on maternity leave when I started. I think I was a bit bored, <laughs> probably yeah. why. My background is that I'm a midwife and um, I'm also a nurse, but I didn't have any um, nutritional training at all. It was just my own learning and um, information sourcing and just the passion for it. And I guess when I was serving my elder son, who's nearly eight, um, his foods, I used to get a lot of questions about them because it was quote unquote, those strange foods that I was offering him. So foods like liver and bone marrow and bone broth and foods that we ate that were really nutrient dense is what his first foods were. And I would get the comments like, 
oh, poor child, you know, <laughs> you're serving him that or, um, you know, people feeling sorry for him that he didn't get, you know, the just apple puree. I mean, there's nothing wrong with apple puree, but, you know, just that or just rice cereal, et cetera, that he was being fed all these weird and wonderful foods. But I guess, yeah, as I started sharing things, you know, I think that was Instagram was becoming a bit more of a platform for sharing information and education. And so I just kept going and the momentum grew really quickly. <laughs> um, and so I've been trying to play catch up ever since with it, really. We, um, we're now a team of, I ended up studying um, just a, a nutrition consultancy through for babies and postpartum. And then now we're a team of three so i've got a nutritionist and naturopath kate and then i've also got a dietitian that works with me and we also have a clinic of five naturopaths and nutritionists as well that now work for boob to food as well so it's all happening <laughs> but yes yeah, definitely grown and expanded which is amazing and we brought out our first book um, a couple of years ago milk to meals which has been yeah really successful which is great I love that. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Really so good. great business bought Thank out you. of maternity leave as well, you know, yeah. great <laughs> yeah. things we can do during I know. that time. I think you get well. a bit of a creative kind of, mm. you know, like spark sometimes. It was funny with over my third, it was like I had no, cre I think because I didn't get that <laughs> actual maternity leave because I was doing, I had quit midwifery by then because this business had really taken off and, um, it was also like the height of COVID. He was a full COVID baby. So I left that job and, um, yeah, felt like I didn't get that creativity the third time around, maybe a third child or maybe just because it's your own business. <laughs> but yeah, second yeah. time, it was definitely nice and I played on that momentum. And I wrote the book while we were travelled Australia in a caravan for a year. So mm, I um, wrote the book while we lived in the caravan, which was fun. Wow. What an experience. That yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah, it was um, so, I mean, you touched on a lot about the controversy and the advice that you get when you do start solids with your baby. Mm. What sort of, maybe you can explain for others out there, the controversy around that, why there is such conflicting advice and really what are the actual guidelines for starting solids? Because I know going through that personally myself, it was a very confusing time. You're mm. juggling a million different things to go and do all this research and stuff. Like it's just it's hard. You just want someone to tell you really what to do. So, and yeah. everyone has an opinion. Yes, exactly. It's <laughs> motherhood, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it, I'm still perplexed at why it's considered controversial because the guidelines were changed a long time ago. Um, I think back in it was 2018 that they changed that. So for a while, a period, it was to start your baby at around the four-month mark. That was the advice. But then, you know, as, as research has grown and, and data has grown and studies that we've seen that is more beneficial to wait until your baby is around the six-month mark. So those guidelines were changed years ago. However, it's still taking quite a lot of um, health practitioners a while to catch up to the new guidelines. And I think a lot of... Uh, Practitioners still under the impression that, you know, starting solids will help with weight or will help with sleeping, which is not being shown to be true. I mean, your baby would have to eat a lot of solids to help with their weight because breast milk or formula has way higher calories. So it's more beneficial to get a lactation consultant on board or, you know, look into the formula and things like that rather than starting, you know, a teaspoon of solids a day, which isn't going to do a lot. So 
The biggest thing though is not so much an age. The reason that the guidelines were changed is because around that mark is when babies will show the signs of readiness. So we're looking at developmental signs of readiness and like all babies walk at different ages, they talk at different ages, they're also ready for solids at different ages. But I'm really yet to meet a baby under five and a half months that shows all of the signs. Um, they generally speaking, you know, you want to be looking for a, a little one. The biggest thing is that they're sitting unassisted. Um, and for some babies, this actually won't, you know, a lot of them won't meet that until closer to the eight month mark. But basically mm. the idea is that if you were to pop them into a high chair, that they're not slumping forward, um, or to the sides or have like a real, you know, those, um, dashboard dolls and their head bobbles, yeah. them, bobble. you don't want them doing that, a bobble head. <laughs> um, you don't want any bobble heads. So you want them to have really nice core trunk you want, uh, and stability. And you also want them to have lots of neck and postural stability as well. And the reason being is one that shows that their digestive muscles are ready to actually digest the food that you're offering them. So there's a muscle-like movement peristalsis that needs to happen where the food is moved through uh, you know, all of the intestines and out of the bowel to hopefully they don't get blocked up and constipated. So that, you know, that's a good indication that that's probably working well if they've got some core strength. Another big one is that it can be a really big choking risk if they're slumping forward uh, because their neck's going to be flopping forward and can occlude the airway. So that's a big one that you want to look for. And the other thing is just that they're, um, yeah, their head's not boppling around too much. You want to be able to reach for food. So if you were to put their high chair, you know, if they're either at the table or with a tray that they can actually kind of reach for food and move for food. So that's a really big one to look for. So they might not be able to actually sit on the floor, for example, by themselves, because that can take a lot of practice. But I guess if you pop them onto your lap or into a high chair that they could then sit upright and have that strength. So that's a big thing that we're looking for. The other thing is showing signs of interest. But I think this one is the one that confuses a lot of parents because around that four month mark, they are interested in absolutely everything. And, you know, I always say like they're interested in your car keys. It doesn't mean they want to drive. It's <laughs> they're interested in everything. So you just have to be aware, like, yes, they're interested in, in food and because they're watching you eat and they think, wow, it's this, this isn't, you know, and they're grasping for it, but it doesn't, it's a, really great sign and it's something we want to look for but it shouldn't be looked at in isolation we want to be looking at it with the other signs of readiness so and if it's getting close to that six month mark and your baby's not interested in food then that's when you might want to start really ramping up eating in front of them because you know as mothers uh, we can often you know save lunchtime and meal time for when they're napping because it's nice for us to yes. you know eat in peace and i fully understand that but the only way they're going to learn how to eat is by watching us and mimicking us. So if you can, trying to eat and really exaggerate the, you know, mm, like and biting and chewing and showing them what they have to do with the food so that when it comes time to offering solids, they're not like, huh? <laughs> what do I do with this? Yeah. So yeah. they're the two big ones. Another one is that they've lost the tongue thrust reflex. That, to be honest, is usually gone by four months, which is a, a reflex where the baby's tongue will push the food back out if or anything as it is a choking um uh, mechanism against choking i should say so you know if, if anything gets into contact with their mouth that their tongue will automatically push it out so you can test this by putting your fingers or even like a little spoon or something into their mouth and seeing if their tongue automatically 
they might do it out of funness, but it's more an automatic reflex that we're looking for. So have a look into that. Um, and they're your big things, to be honest, that we want to be looking for. But all of the main body guidelines all recommend the same age, all around the six-month mark. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not quite sure where the controversy lies. The only thing that I will add is that the allergy guidelines are always changing. They've changed a lot since I even have my son, who's yeah, nearly eight. So back then, allergens were actually recommended not to introduce until they were five. So things have changed a lot since then. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now they're recommended to introduce them all before they're 12 months of age. But they are saying that there's some evidence now for little babies who are high risk of developing an allergy. So like a strong family history of allergies or perhaps perhaps they have an atopic march, which is where they have things like eczema and asthma. Those little ones, um, they've been doing some studies on introducing the top allergens even earlier than six months and around the four-month mark, um, introducing things like peanut butter or other allergens. This is something, though, that I would discuss with an allergist um, or a pediatrician, not just take it upon yourself because mm. it's still quite emerging research there. And it, so it's it's not a guideline for everyone, but I think that this might also be a bit of a point of confusion now because that's sort of new research coming out, but it's still only targeted for those high allergy risk bobs. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear because I think a lot of mums get anxious around introducing the allergens. And I know we heard from a pediatrician to, you know, the longer you wait, the more likely after a certain age, you know, they might develop some kind of reaction and we still haven't given her seafood and now I'm too nervous so I just need to <laughs> bite the bullet you know what, the good it. thing is seafood tends to well I don't know a good thing it tends to be more of an adult allergy seafood oh. so you oh, might be okay with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's also the one that they don't tend to outgrow so um mm. that's probably a good one if you were going to leave any <laughs> okay. oh that makes me feel a lot better as well so but um those tips are honestly they're such concrete examples I, I would honestly write those down because I remember being like okay I don't know if it's four or six in between I just went five month mark I think she's interested in food so having those other examples there mm. are just um make it much more I don't want to say black and white, but mm. they're really concrete examples. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, completely. So when it comes to starting babies on solids, what kind of foods would you recommend? And in particular, things to boost their immune system. I know that was definitely a key priority for me as well. Yeah. So I guess the thing when we're starting solids to remember is that their primary source of nutrition still needs to be breast milk or formula. And so, you know, if you are breastfeeding, that's the best immunity that you can provide them because it's ever-changing, ever-developing to what they need, which is amazing. Um, in terms of food, I guess, you know, all foods can be immune-boosting or, you know, whole foods can have, they all have different properties and amazing things. Baby's biggest requirements are iron and zinc. So they have other requirements, but the ones that breast milk or formula aren't meeting after six months are iron and zinc. So Iron and zinc foods are the ones that you really want to pay like a strong homage to because they are the ones that they're the nutrient that they're kind of missing. So this can sometimes stress people though, because when we start solids, 
sometimes they won't eat anything like they'll play with the food they might like eat a teaspoon they might lick it and people you know can get a little bit concerned because they need iron and i fully get that and they do need iron and to be honest the rdi that they need to meet for iron is we think it's unachievable in even the best eater so if that helps we um have been questioning the rdi with the with people because it's 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 so high it's higher than an adult males that the, that the baby needs oh, wow. and so yeah and breast milk has when you look at it apparently has zero milligrams of iron in it which is pretty mm-hmm. crazy formula does have some because it's fortified but i think the thing to remember too is that you know this is why rice cereal is often recommended because it's fortified mm-hmm. with iron but the thing is is that the iron in rice cereal is one a synthetic version of iron which isn't as well absorbed as natural sources two it's not a heme source of iron which is found in animal products only and so they're the best absorbed by the body three it doesn't have the cofactors in it to be able to absorb the iron you know really well so we need lots of things like fats and things to actually help to absorb the iron um and you know there's other (laughs) downsides to rice cereal but the thing is as well like it's actually quite low in iron a lot of rice cereals don't actually contain very much iron so for us at boob to food we're more into promoting whole foods for children uh foods that are you know we we have quite a strong animal focused animal based foods focus because those foods are the easiest way to absorb the nutrients that we need they are the highest source of the nutrients that they need and just an easy way to do it without supplementation and so that's not to say we don't support people who choose a different way of feeding their child if they decide to go plant-based or vegetarian but the reality is is that heme sources of iron are the easiest way of getting your baby to get the most bang for their buck um and the body absorbs so much more of it so it'll absorb about 25 to 40 percent of heme iron Whereas non-heme iron, which is found in like your plant-based foods or in the rice cereal, for example, that's absorbed about zero to 13%. So it's quite Mm -hmm. a big difference when we're talking about needing 11 milligrams of iron a day. It's quite a big difference between the two. Um, So the foods that we promote, my, I guess I feel like I've been known as someone to promote liver a lot for babies. Um, And this was one of the foods that I fed my eldest son that everyone thought I was you know, horrible mum for doing. <laughs> I was with you there. And I, I think we were had babies around the same time, at least my first two. But um yeah, I was definitely wanting to give like egg yolk with like shaved liver on top Amazing. as like a first food. And he loved, you know, anything I gave him, thankfully. Oh, <laughs> but good. I was yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's so beneficial, right? It's just it's the most nutrient yeah. dense thing you can give them. Liver is, yeah. So mm. like gram for gram, it's the highest form of pretty much every nutrient that you can mm. get. So it's just a really good one, especially for little ones who aren't eating very much. It's a really good one to get the most that you can. We can't force our little ones to eat and we shouldn't be wanting to force them to eat. That's not our role. Our role is to offer the food and it's their job if they want to eat it or not. But if we can provide foods that have, I guess, yeah, the most bang for their buck, that's going to be really beneficial. So liver is a big one that I like to promote. So whether it be, you know, as like a a blended, like a, I call it a pate, but it's not really a pate, just blended liver. Or you can blend it through a puree if you're going to puree foods. Or like you said, um, JJ, you can grate it. So that's a good one. If you have frozen liver, you can grate it into foods. 
and you still cook the liver is grated raw beef. You grate it raw into the foods and then as you're cooking the foods it will cook through or you can offer like pan fried liver strips if you're doing baby led weaning or you can blend up the liver and offer it like onto finger foods as like a spread as well is a really good option mm. so that's one but any any source of of red meat especially is going to be high in iron if liver makes you a bit squeamish and that's not something yeah. that you want to do <laughs> so you know lamb beef whatever you know chicken's quite high in iron as well sardines as well if you um you just got to remember that one's an allergen but fine to start whenever you start solids um and you know if you are going down a more plant-based route then you can do things like tahini is really high um, red kidney beans are a good one you can do lentils um with beans and lentils, you want to, if you can, try and soak them to get the most bang for the buck there because soaking them will activate the phytase and reduce the phytic acid on the foods, which is kind of like, I guess, in layman's term, like a, a coating on the food that can stop some of the nutrients being absorbed. So if you can soak these foods, so pop them into, you know, a bowl of water. I like to put a little bit of acidic something, so like a little bit of vinegar or lemon juice or weigh and then leave it as long as you can so you know overnight or you might do it that morning or something that will um really help the little ones to and us as well to get the most nutrients out of the foods that we're offering um parsley is another one as well so you can you can get iron rich foods from plant-based foods you just need to be a bit more savvy about it as well and the other thing with the non-heme foods like your plant-based foods is you want to also pair them with um, something high in vitamin C because that will help to maximize the iron absorption. So you've just got to be mindful when you're offering your little one probiotic rich foods like fermented foods. Um, one, you want to just make sure that it's it's safe for your baby because some like especially homemade can go a bit alcoholic. So just mm. if you're buying store-bought, you're generally fine. Um, but just be mindful of that. I also wouldn't offer kombucha to a baby because it's quite high in caffeine. So you probably want to steer away from that one. So things like your sauerkraut, beetroot kvass, uh, kefir is a really good as well. Like a coconut kefir is a, is a low allergen one um, or any like pickled vegetables. They can all be beautiful additions to a little one's diet, but they really don't need much. Like the smallest amount, you'd want to start with just the brine, for example, that it's in a little bit into a puree or on a spoon and then gradually work your way up because sometimes too much of a good thing can be too much of a good thing and throw yeah. the gut bacteria out a little bit so um yeah but I, I wouldn't worry too much about the immune boosting like the biggest thing is you know whole foods having it having lots of milk um and then just playing outside sunshine you know all mm, yeah. the lovely things that we want to do anyway yeah <laughs> It's so funny because as you're mentioning all those foods, like those are all the great whole foods we should be eating yeah. as well. <laughs> so, you know, if we could look after ourselves that way and, you know, yeah. pass it on to our babies as well. Mm. Um, that's a big passion of mine too is trying to promote foods that the whole family can enjoy. And I have actually found through like my work through Boob to Food is that it's a really like pregnancy, postpartum, having a baby starting solids is actually like a really good time to channel into the mother's health as well because it's a time mm. that we actually think, oh, I need to be more mindful about what I'm eating. Yes. And so I have found that 
yeah, through providing recipes that the whole family can eat and benefit from. It's sort of, you know, even though we're starting with a baby, it kind of then goes up to the mum and then stem through the whole rest of the family, which is really nice to see. It does, doesn't it? And we noticed that at Goodness Me as well. A lot of new mums start trying all the different health foods because you mm. want to feed your baby and your children that way and then mm. you start learning and it feeds in, which is a really nice journey and process as well. We all love to push the boundaries every now and then. One more drink, one less hour of sleep, one less metre of social distancing. But no one loves it more than bugs. Germ bugs, bacterial bugs, viral bugs, microorganism bugs, plague bugs, they're all there. All just waiting for your immune system to let its guard down and bang, they're in. That's why No Ugly have come up with No Ugly Immunity, a wellness tonic scientifically formulated to boost your immune system. We started with 100% of your daily intake of vitamin C, added some echinacea, some Pautu Manuka honey from the forgotten world of the Taranaki, 10 vitamins and minerals, Fibersol 2, and we made it isotonic so it gets into your system fast. Then we delicioused it up with lemon, honey, and ginger and put it in a dark bottle to protect it from the light. No ugly immunity. Fast track your immune system back to gorgeous. So, um, Luca, you mentioned purees before, and we'd love to get your thoughts on baby lead weaning versus purees. Yeah, so there's really no right or wrong. This can be a so funny motherhood, isn't it? Like, I feel like there's everyone has an opinion on everything. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is one of those things that people seem to get very strong opinions on the whole, do we do baby lead weaning, which is essentially a fancy word for finger foods, or do we go down the spoon feeding route? There really is no right or wrong. And I think that the most important thing is that you as a family feel comfortable in how you're offering your child food. So if you're trying to fit a mold, say, for example, of baby lab weaning because it's quote unquote the right thing to do, um, but it makes you feel so anxious and stressed. And if you're then, you know, offering your child food and you're hovering over them and you're, you know, ready to whack them on the back at any split second <laughs> or ready to jam your fingers down their throat every time they make a little gag, then baby weaning is not for you. <laughs> and the thing is, is that your little one, if they are getting whacked on the back every time they eat or if they see their mum with this horrified look on her face the entire meal or if they are getting their fingers down their throat, you know, to stop them choking, then they're going to have some negative associations around food and mealtime too. And they're probably not going to want to eat because it's not a nice experience for them. So if it makes you really anxious, don't do it because that's more important. The, it's absolutely fine to start with purees. I started all of my children on purees. However, the my middle child and my youngest child both very quickly declined purees and moved to finger foods very quickly. <laughs> but my eldest son was happy to eat whatever. And so he was on purees for a few months. And, you know, that's, I didn't know much about it then, but it just felt fine to do that. And I felt comfortable doing it that way. The, my only tip would be if you are starting on some purees, that you really want to start introducing some finger foods by no later than nine months. And the reason being is that. There's a little bit of a window of opportunity with finger foods 
because if you leave it too long, they can get a little bit fussy with textures. And you also do want to teach them how to chew and how to swallow and do the things that we need to do for eating. And whilst purees are fine and, you know, there's lots of benefits to purees, like you can often get more nutrients into them. There's some studies have shown that baby led weaning babies who never have purees are lower in iron. So there's definitely some benefits to puree, but the benefits to the baby led weaning, I guess, are outweighing some of the benefits to the purees in terms of really just developing around eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and whilst, you know, it's really normal for babies to gag a lot when they start solids and some babies will really gag a lot and some not so much, but they will all gag at some stage and it always looks scary and petrifying and, you know, you're always like, is it choking? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is really developmentally normal and they, there's so many protective mechanisms that a baby has against choking that it's something that they need to learn and they need to learn how far they can put food down their throat. They need to learn that they need to chew their food. They need to learn these things. And whilst that gag reflex is in full throttle, that's the time that you want them to learn while all these protective Mm -hmm. mechanisms are at play. So if someone was feeding purees and, you know, wanting to introduce some finger foods, but felt really nervous about it, they could do things like offering foods that are resistible foods. So they're what we call hard munchable foods. They're foods that you're not really expecting them to eat, but just to play with and to learn and to map the mouth and to realize, you know, where that gag reflex is and how far I can put things down my throat. So Things like corn on the cob, for example, things like rib bones with a lot of the meat taken off it, but, you know, that they can just chew on the bone. Um, Lamb cutlets are really good. Chicken drumsticks, uh, watermelon rind with like a lot of the watermelon taken off. So giving them like that white bit with the green. You can also do things like pineapple cores. A great one is like a mango. I never know if it's pit or pip. (laughs) I think it's a pit, a mango pit. you know, with a lot of the mango taken off can be a really great one because it's so big. And these foods, you know, if you can imagine, they can't really choke on these foods. I mean, still obviously watch your child, but they're too big to shove in their mouth. Mm. And that's the whole point of them. You can also even just offer puree on a spoon and let them do it themselves. So you can load up the spoon and they can grab it from your hand and they can put it in their mouth because that's still them learning. But yeah, by nine months, I would be introducing at least some. And the aim is that by 12 months, our little ones are eating with the family. So there would be, I mean, obviously some foods are just naturally puree state, like yogurt. But generally speaking, they're eating family meals by 12 months. So, you know, as much as I I have a love-hate relationship with the saying food for fun is, food before one is just for fun, because there is some benefits to that saying like, yes, food should be fun. And that is a really big benefit of food. Like it should be fun and relaxing and enjoyable. And you want to make it that way for our little ones to set up good, healthy relationships with food. But I also dislike that saying, because sometimes I think it can lead to the connotation that they don't need any nutrients from food and that Mm -hmm. we can offer whatever we want. And um yeah, so I think I have a love-hate relationship with that saying. Yeah. And, Luca, you mentioned gagging and choking, and I know it's something I get so worried about as well. And I often will say to my husband, I think she's choking, and he's like, don't use that word. She's just gagging because it creates a lot of panic for mm-hmm. him. Can you explain for others out there what the difference is between? Because I think it's a lot of um, a lot of mums might get worried about it. Yeah, for sure. It And it is stressful when you see it happening. It's 
always scary. The biggest thing to know is that with gagging, our babies is dramatic. So just remember that gagging is dramatic and choking is silent. So mm-hmm. we, you know, with a baby who is Caucasian, you'll see them go like a red color. You won't always see that in a, like darker skin babies, but if they're Caucasian, you'll see them go a red color. That's a big indicator that they're gagging. Um, the biggest thing is that it's dramatic and loud though. So this applies to all babies. So they will cough, they will splatter, they'll make that gagging sound that we make when we vomit that exact same noise they yeah might vomit to to get that food out so they're basically doing everything they can in their body is trying to get that food back out so they're kind of retching forward if you can imagine and so if they are making sounds that means they're gagging because when they're choking they can't make any sounds it's silent which is what's scary about choking and unfortunately what sometimes can happen with choking is because it is silent it's mm. often unnoticed mm. it's it's you know if someone's not paying I mean it doesn't always happen this way obviously but you know if the baby's not in sight or something like that it's just why we need to always set up safe meal times where we can see our little ones but gagging means that the airway is not completely blocked there's just something in the airway um and so basically and it's not actually the same like airway that we're breathing in with gagging anyway that's choking is usually when the protective mechanisms for some reason the brain hasn't recognized that it needs to protect itself and so choking it goes down the wrong hole basically and then can block the airway so that's why it can often happen with surprise when a baby might take like a you know a big chunk of something and it flies down the airway and into the um and can block the airway or if they're running around, for example, and they're not concentrating what they're doing and the brain's not realizing that, you know, it needs to chew and it needs to has food in there and, it, you know, the little one's preoccupied and running around, moving around, that's when a lot of choking can happen as well. Right. So with the gagging, the other thing to realize is that their gag reflex is actually quite far forward. So a lot further forward than adults. So when we're thinking about food making us gag or fingers for example if you ever tried to make yourself spew for any reason <laughs> um you know you've got to shove them quite far down to make any difference i've never actually successfully been able to do it because it's so far down not that you know if you ever feel sick and you just want to get it out you know yeah. you're pregnant your first trimester and you're like oh my gosh just, i just need to spew and i'll feel better um Whereas little ones, it's actually so much further forward. It's actually like nearly half, like around the halfway to their mouth. So they'll actually gag quite quickly and then it will gradually move back as they get older. So that's something really important to remember that it's not even sometimes anywhere near their airway. (laughs) Like they're often gagging again as a protective mechanism before they even have the chance. Yep. Um, The biggest thing with our little ones is that their brains need to recognize like that they have taken a bite of the food and they need to recognize that there's food in their mouth and they need to recognize that there's the size of the food and that they need to chew and learn how to map the mouth and where the food is in their mouth. And this is where those, you know, hard resistible foods can be really beneficial so that they can learn these skills. So when you do offer the finger foods so that they, they've kind of got a little bit of awareness, but babies will naturally do this again this is what can confuse people around that four month mark they can naturally do this with like toys for example or their whole hand in their mouth or their foot (laughs) or you know that they'll they'll map the mouth with things that they're using so that's a really beneficial skill for them to learn so luca um what point do you think solids should take priority over breastfeeding or formula feeding 
I think a lot of people, again, got really, get really hung up on an age for this. Um, you know, we can often be like, I, I guess the priority should be that, that milk is the priority until around that 12 month mark. But the whole idea of weaning and it might not mean that you completely wean, but the whole idea of introducing solids is that gradually and over time, slowly, it takes place over solids, over breast milk, sorry, or formula. Mm. So for some babies that might be like, I mean, I have a 20-month-old that still would prefer breast milk over food, but he's thriving and happy and I am able to do that because I work from home and, you know, I can offer him that. But, you know, if if you are having to sort of return to work or do something, then I would say that 12-month mark is what you want to aim for, that breast milk or formula that I would be offering it prior to the solid foods. But I think it was just something that, you know, if we can allow it to, will just naturally happen. So, for example, a lot of babies will have a milk feed before, uh, sorry, as they wake up. So they might have one for that, you know, after their big sleep at night, hopefully. <laughs> they might have one in the morning and then they might have one, you know, if they're getting close to that 12-month mark, they're usually on one or two naps a day. They'll usually have one when they wake up from their naps and then one before bed at night, for example. That's, you know, or they might have 800 in between that. But that's generally what a lot of little ones will do. And you might just notice that as those naps drop off or, you know, they might wake up from their lunch nap and they might just be really distracted and happy and happy to have food. Um, or they might have a really quick feed, like two seconds, and then they just want food. And just gradually and naturally that will just happen over time without us needing to just get a lot of parents who just really overanalyze this a lot and it's like you don't need to really think about it it will just naturally happen um but i understand that some people yeah have restrictions where they need to go back to work or you know don't want to feed anymore and that's totally fine mm -hmm. too so at that stage i would say 12 months if you can get to that point yeah yeah and i mean for mums out there who are breastfeeding i think sometimes it, it can be really hard to look after yourself as well are there any tips um or like can you even improve the nutritional value of your breast milk or is that not true or what what are your thoughts on that you definitely like nutrients can change definitely within your breast milk with what you eat but if you're eating a balanced diet you know you're generally going to be fine and your breast milk's going to be fine. To be honest, it's usually you that will pay the price <laughs> and not your breast milk. So your breast milk will usually take what it needs <laughs> and, um, you know, your baby's generally okay. It's just us mums that can end up depleted. <laughs> yeah. Um, a big one that I like to, you know, that don't change your breast milk but really important for, for our own health, a really big one is calcium. So we need to be really aware of our own calcium as a breastfeeding mum because if our breast milk doesn't have enough, sometimes it can pull from our own bone stores. So mm. that's just something to be mindful of. Um, but, yeah, I think for mums, you know, I, I always say if you are still, uh, if you are breastfeeding, then I would recommend to stay on whatever prenatal supplement that you are on. Um, for the entire duration of breastfeeding. If you don't, you know, you can achieve this through a balanced diet, but if you're thinking I'm really time poor, I mean, a supplement's not going to meet all of the gaps, but it can provide a little bit of a buffer, which is good. Um, but something like a whole food supplement can be really good just to, you know, fill in a little bit extra. But basically 
yeah, we can just get what we need from our own diets. It's just being mindful of actually eating and not eating crusts all day and actually looking after ourselves, which again comes back to what I was talking about, um, providing a baby's foods that we can eat as well. So, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like you said in the intro, no one has time to make more than one meal. No. One meal is enough. <laughs> more than enough, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Do you have um, any other tips sort of for mum while we speak of mum, what she can do to sort of have the support she needs postpartum? You know, it's it's so heavy on our bodies and everything that comes with birth and breastfeeding. Are there anything, any other tips that you recommend? I think my biggest thing would be to lean on your village as much as you can. We're not meant to parent alone and it's really hard and especially when you have more than one child and you're trying to meet everyone's needs and yours often get pushed right to the bottom of the wayside. So if you can for the postpartum, I would really try and, you know, either you organize someone to do it or hopefully they take the initiative and get a meal train so that you can get lots of beautiful nourishing meals delivered to you just to take one last thing, you know, one less thing off of your mind. Um, and then that way you're going to be really nourished and not have to think about it. So that would be my biggest tip for a postpartum mum is to, yeah, lean on other people for support. Um, and just remember as well that nutritious meals don't have to be complicated and complex and have lots of ingredients. Like sometimes the most simple foods are the most nutritious and, you know, we don't need to overanalyze the nutrition of everything, but, you know, it's fine just to eat eggs, for example. They're so nutritious and amazing. And you know, if you feel like that every day, have that every day. Just try and balance it up a little bit with some other things. You might just put some other things on the side, for example. But or you might feel like all you can eat is carbs in that first four months of, you know, breastfeeding, especially you're so hungry. But it's important to listen to our bodies at that time. It's using a lot of energy and it needs a lot of more carbs. So listen to it and don't deplete it in this time. Um, and yeah, I think if you can try and bulk cook as well is a really important one um, because, you know, if you do have energy one day or you might have got sleep one day or your baby might be napping one day, then if you can do some bulk cooking so that those days where you have had no sleep or your baby's having witching hour for three hours and you can't get dinner on the table, you've got something in the freezer. So a chest freezer is always my number one thing I think mums should buy so that they can do this. <laughs> <laughs> a nice tip and yeah. those meal trains are such mm. a lifesaver such a blessing yes yeah, yeah. Yes. And there's a website called yeah. meal train a lot of people oh, cool. don't know about it it's actually yeah. called meal train and it's so easy to use my group of friends we've been like we've got a lot of babies most of us have yeah. three kids and so there's been a many meal trains but it's so amazing because what goes around comes around I mm. ended up having meals for like I think it was six weeks I had meals mm. every night for the best and you just love your friends so much for it oh yeah it's the best gift you can get isn't it yes and I think because we had all had you know multiple children like you know we had a pretty down pat the system like we had a little esky out the front we didn't even have to talk to people like if you wanted to you'd leave the door open if you didn't you'd shut the door no one was offended everyone got it you know drop the meals and run and so it was just really good the third time around we were like this is so nice I didn't want it to end and don't be afraid to ask people as well. Like if they are asking to help, tell them that they can practically 
give you a meal or a voucher for somewhere or, you know, something like that yeah. if, they, if they don't feel comfortable cooking or if you have, you know, certain dietary requirements. But, yeah, mm. it is so, so helpful, such a game changer. Um, yeah, speaking of food, we know that we love your recipes and I feel so inspired whenever I look at um the latest one you've uploaded on Boob to Food. So thank you for inspiring so many people. But I just wanted to ask, is there a meal that you've had um, or that you've made and served to your family in the past couple of weeks that's been a real winner that you can share with us? I think my biggest hit lately, I did, I've been doing a pulled pork recipe and they've absolutely been loving it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's pulled pork, like slow cooked all day and stewed with apples and bone broth. So really nutritious. But I just love that it can be made like once and then you've got, you know, a few nights of dinners that you can change up into different things. So they love it like Mexican night or we have burgers one night or we had it with like, I don't know if you'd still call it a Buddha bowl, I guess, you know, rice and veggies and things like that. Um, so, yeah, that's been their favourite meal that I can share with you. <laughs> Sounds so good. And do you slow cook that in a slow cooker or no. in the oven? I, we cook it in the oven. Yep. Do you want the specifics of the recipe or do you want me to send it? I, I will follow you up for the specifics <laughs> so people can look at look it up. But just just no, curious. What, look, you yeah. can do it in the slow cooker. I personally hate slow cookers. Um, okay. Haven't had a good experience. <laughs> no, no. I just, I know some people love them. I really tried. Yeah. Just always find the food very bland and watery. Like I just haven't nailed anyway. I'm probably doing it wrong, but I have like a cast iron pot, like it's 20 Uh, years old, a La Crisette pot. And I always do it in there. So then I can brown off all the meat and the onion and apples and things like that. I brown it all off first and then I put the liquid in. I always leave the meat out a little bit so um, you can get a bit of that. I like that when it goes all caramelizing and get a bit of a crust on it. And then put the lid on that and then I put that in the oven at like 140 for about six hours, six, seven Mm. hours. And I just leave it all day running. And yeah, then at the end, I take, I shred it all up, take the lid off and then put it back in the oven on a higher heat and then let that reduce a bit. And then that fat will kind of turn into a caramelizing yummy meal delicious mm. but you can't get in a slow cooker but anyway <laughs> just really silly <laughs> sorry <laughs> do you use a slow cooker I don't know if I'm the only one yeah I do to be honest I haven't quite nailed it either I a couple of recipes but um I don't know if it's my slow cooker <laughs> or if it's me <laughs> but yeah no I have a Le, Le Crusette and they are amazing so, yeah. yeah, and I mean, you don't need an expensive liquid. Yeah. Like, I only have yeah. mine because it was a hand-me-down. It's been very old. It was my husband's nan's. <laughs> oh, lovely. Um, but, and you can get them on Facebook Marketplace really cheap, actually. Mm. They're always on there. But there's heaps of cheaper brands that you can get that are the same thing, like a, just a cast yeah. iron pot that can, you know, go on the on the cooktop and then can also go into the oven. So mm. I think that's a really good thing for your kitchen. I use mine nearly every day. Thank you so much for all your information and wisdom and tips. It's been so, so helpful. And we'd love you to share if people want to get in touch or find out more, where should they go? Yeah, so we're most active on Instagram at boob to food I've tried TikTok. I just can't get into it. <laughs> I think you're very good. <laughs> TikTok, oh, mate, I have like 10 things. Anyway, um, and our website, www.grouptofood.com. Great. So Thanks thank so, so much, much Luca. It was great to chat to you. Yeah, thank you for all that you do as well and continue to do moving forward. Thanks so thank much, Luca. You.
liked this podcast, please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.